0: and my brother, Dr. Steven Ned, for this week's body chat about glyphosate. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven that is a patient at his office. This week, we're going to talk about a topic that you've brought up many times, and I'm sure that you've got a lot more information for us this week, and this has to do with glyphosate. Because you've mentioned glyphosate before, we know something about it, but since it's important, we're going to do this entire episode. So let's start with what glyphosate is and what they're saying is the reason for its use.
1: All right. Well, glyphosate is the active ingredient in the notorious herbicide Roundup. Now an herbicide is a fancy term for a weed killer and Roundup has been the world's most widely used herbicide for about 40 years now. Wow, And the big reason for this is because it's inexpensive and it works very well to eliminate all types of pesky weeds. Mm -hmm. It's not only available at stores like Lowe's and Home Depot for home weed control, but it's also used commercially with large farms on various crops, including GMO crops, which we went over in detail in our previous podcast. Okay, so now we have a basic idea of what it
0: is. So when was it developed and where was it first used?
1: Well, one reference says that glyphosate was developed way back in 1950. Wow. Yeah. Uh, By a Swiss chemist working with a drug company, but it was never used for any pharmaceutical applications. Uh, Another one claims that glyphosate was originally developed as a corrosion inhibitor and was patented and sold by the Stauffer Chemical Company in 1961. That source said that it was specifically used as a descaling agent to clean out calcium and other mineral deposits in pipes and boilers of residential and commercial hot water systems. But it was nine years later in 1970 that a Monsanto chemist discovered that it was also an effective herbicide, and it was patented as an herbicide that year. Then in 1974, it was brought to the market as Roundup, first in Malaysia and the UK and then to the United States, Canada, and the rest of the world. So it's been around for 45 years in Roundup.
0: That's quite a long time. Now, what is it that it's supposed to do? I mean, you said it kills weeds, but is there anything more to it than that?
1: Well, I mean, glyphosate was a revolutionary herbicide when it first came out because up to that time, weed killers in general were very specific to certain weeds. Glyphosate, on the other hand, was found to kill almost every weed that it came in contact with. And because of this, farmers decreased the need to till the soil, which resulted in less soil erosion. In addition, it appeared to be environmentally friendly since it would decompose into compounds including carbon dioxide, phosphoric acid, and ammonia, which are relatively safe for humans and animals. And the way it works is it inhibits a specific enzyme called EPSP synthase. And without this enzyme, plants are unable to produce other proteins that are essential for growth, so they end up turning yellow and then die over the course of several days or weeks. A majority of plants use this same enzyme, so what happens is almost all plants end up succumbing to glyphosate. Now, notice I didn't say weeds, I said plants. Now, weeds are a type of plant, but glyphosate affects almost all plants, so that also includes flowers, herbs, and vegetables. So obviously, if you're using it in your yard, you don't want to apply it anywhere near your flowers, herbs, or vegetables. So now we come to the dilemma for farmers. Why would they use glyphosate if it inhibits an enzyme that basically all plants need to live and grow? Right. I mean, you know, that would be pretty counterproductive, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer to that is GMOs are genetically modified versions of seeds and plants, which are designed to tolerate glyphosate. And these are called Roundup Ready plants. And as of 2018, 90% of the corn, 91% of the cotton, and 94% of the soybeans grown in the United States are so-called Roundup Ready varieties. And in order to even activate these GMO seeds to grow, Roundup must be applied.
0: Fascinating. So rather than find something different to use to kill the weeds... They don't want to kill off the business that it brings in. So let's come up with something else, which is genetically modifying the food, meaning the plants, the vegetables, so that you can continue using Roundup. It's a little bit twisted. And then the only way you can actually grow them is you have to use it too. Right. That's even more twisted. So that's, that's the reasoning for it is that instead of having to use various different types of herbicides, you can use just one. So that seems pretty smart, like a good idea. Seems like something that was beneficial. So why is using glyphosate a problem?
1: Well, you know, glyphosate use at first didn't appear to be a problem because it was touted by Monsanto and scientific experts as a revolutionary environmentally safe herbicide. But over the years, a number of issues have cropped up with glyphosate, especially starting in the mid-90s when it's use with GMO crops began. Mm-hmm. I, I realized I just said cropped up. <laughs> I know. I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, since that time, the amount of glyphosate usage on GMO crops, especially corn and soy, has been on a steep incline in the thousands of tons used each year. In fact, between 1996 and 2014, glyphosate usage in the United States increased ninefold and worldwide it increased 15 times. So, now I'm going to lay out all the major issues that have been found with glyphosate starting all the way back in 1985. Okay. That year, the United States Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, classified glyphosate as a class C carcinogen, or cancer-causing agent. So, let's look at what that means. Okay. Now, the EPA uses a rating system that describes the cancer-causing potential of a substance. Class A means that it's been determined to be carcinogenic or cancer-causing to people. Class B means that it's likely carcinogenic. Class C, which again is what they classified glyphosate as, means that there is suggestive evidence of carcinogenic potential. Okay? Class D means that it's not even classifiable as far as to human carcinogenicity because there is inadequate data either to support or refute human carcinogen acidity. And then class E means that it's not likely to be carcinogenic to humans because at least two studies have shown it not to be. Now, obviously, this was a big blow to Monsanto, and they immediately tried to persuade the EPA that glyphosate was not a possible human carcinogen. In other words, they wanted it to be declassified from a class C to the harmless class E rating. Mm-hmm. A big reason glyphosate was given the Class C rating is because at least one study showed that mice exposed to glyphosate had developed kidney tumors called adenomas. So Monsanto's Director of Environmental Assessment and Toxicology, Dr. George Levenskaz, took matters into his hands and had another company doctor work on persuading the EPA that the tumors had nothing to do with glyphosate. By the way, Dr. Levenskaz, before joining Monsanto in 1971, was instrumental in the cover-up of the infamous toxic insecticide DDT, which was finally banned in 1972. Yeah, he got away from that one just in time. I know. What a great history he has. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, six years after the EPA slapped glyphosate with a Class C rating, they reversed their stance and rated it a harmless Class E substance. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. So that means that there were at least two studies performed, likely financed by Monsanto, that didn't show any tumor or cancer-causing issues with glyphosate. And the timing of this was just perfect for Monsanto because it was during the time that they were developing their first Roundup-ready GMO crops. So then in 2012, a French scientist published a toxicity study showing that rats who developed severe liver and kidney damage were fed Roundup-ready corn or given water containing glyphosate at levels that were permitted on U.S. crops and drinking water. Now, this wasn't the first independent study showing the relationship between glyphosate and potential health issues, but it was the most high-profile, long-term study up to that time. Then starting in 2013 and continuing into 2017, two researchers, one from MIT and the other from New Hampshire, published a series of six articles called Glyphosate, Pathways to Modern Diseases. And I've referenced the third one in the series uh, several times in past podcasts, including episode number 48 on autism, where, you know, I went into quite a bit of detail about it. So you can go back and listen to that to get more information. But in summary, they showed quite a few graphs throughout the study showing a correlation between the increased use of glyphosate on U.S. soy and corn crops between the years 1990 and 2010. And strikingly similar increases in specific health conditions, including autism, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, Parkinson's disease, anxiety and panic attacks, inflammatory bowel disease, which includes ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, and even thyroid cancer. So we can leave a link to that specific study in the podcast notes. Now, in 2015, the World Health Organization's Cancer Agency, which uses a rating system similar to the United States EPA, classified glyphosate as a probably carcinogenic to humans, and that is comparable to the EPA's Class B rating. And this was based on limited evidence of cancer in humans from real-world exposures that actually occur and sufficient evidence of cancer in experimental animals from studies using pure glyphosate. They also concluded that there was strong evidence for gene toxicity, both for pure glyphosate and for glyphosate formulations. Now, a study performed the following year at the University of California, San Francisco, found that glyphosate was found in 93% of the urine samples of people tested from across the United States. I'm surprised that it wasn't 100%. That's a lot. Yeah, this independent study was organized by the Detox Project and paid for by the Organic Consumers Association. Another study performed in 2017 at King's College in London was considered groundbreaking because it used cutting-edge research that assessed the livers of rats fed extremely low doses of Roundup over a two-year period. The doses of glyphosate from the Roundup given was thousands of times below what is permitted by regulators worldwide, but the study ended up showing that the rats developed non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. What made this study unique was that it was the first to show a causative link between consumption of Roundup at a real-world environmental dose and a serious disease condition. Also in 2017, the group Moms Across America wrote an article called FDA Hides Information on Glyphosate in Vaccines, and we can leave a link to this one too. Uh, It includes some great information and an excellent video. Also, we can leave a link to their article that preceded this one called Glyphosate in Childhood Vaccines. So basically, this group had five vaccines tested by an independent laboratory, which found that they all had glyphosate in them. And the MMR2 vaccine, which stands for measles, mumps, and rubella, had levels up to 25 times higher than the others, which was confirmed by multiple rounds of additional independent lab tests. So the question then is, how is glyphosate getting into vaccines? Right. Well, a good explanation for that comes from one of the two researchers that published that six-part series of studies on glyphosate that I referenced earlier. And that's the MIT scientist, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. And she stated that, and I'll quote her, glyphosate could easily be present in vaccines due to the fact that certain vaccine viruses, including measles in MMR and flu virus, are grown on gelatin derived from the ligaments of pigs fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their GMO feed. Livestock feed is allowed to have up to 400 parts per million of glyphosate residues by the EPA, thousands of times higher than has been shown to cause harm in numerous studies. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know. So this group did the responsible thing and reported it to the FDA, the Centers for Disease Control, the EPA, the National Institutes of Health, the California Department of Health, and Senator Barbara Boxer, and they got no replies back. Wow. Yeah. Plus, one of the independent researchers sent his data to Senator Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire, as well as the FDA, the National Institutes of Health, uh, other elected government officials, and the major media, and also received no response. So Moms Across America filed a Freedom of Information Act to the FDA to request any and all information that they had on glyphosate and vaccines. And I'm sure they complied
0: immediately.
1: Well, not really. What they got back was what they described as infuriating, unjust, and some might argue potentially criminal, because more than 50% of the pages from the FDA were redacted, which means crossed out with a black marker, or they were totally blank.
0: That's because it's a
1: national security issue. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And of course, the FDA replied to them that vaccines are totally safe. Mm -hmm. The FDA also did not answer the question about whether or not they would test for glyphosate in vaccines. In fact, they said that they were discontinuing further testing for glyphosate in anything They said anything because they questioned the reliability of the methodology of the tests that Moms Across America sent in that found glyphosate in the vaccines. Uh, The representative from Moms Across America that wrote this article believes that the FDA or the vaccine manufacturers have actually tested for glyphosate in vaccines and confirmed what they found, you know, that glyphosate is in all of these vaccines. But the implications of that would be that it would ruin the pharmaceutical industry. Mm, Too bad. Yeah. So, man, this is some pretty heavy stuff and quite a potential conspiracy going on.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully they're not going to drop it. and It'll be taken a little bit further until somebody gets to the truth.
1: Yeah. Now, an article titled, Is the Weed Killer Glyphosate Harming Your Health? was also published in 2017 by William Shaw, PhD of the Great Plains Laboratory. I went into detail about this in quite a few of our past podcasts, including the previous one on GMOs. So we can also leave a link uh, for this article in our podcast notes. Now, the one thing that I really like about this article is the step-by-step picture representation of how glyphosate is used on crops like corn, and then it gets into our body after consuming it, ending up in our intestines where it throws off the balance of good and bad bacteria, allowing the bad bacteria, clostridia, to grow and spread to other parts of the body, including the brain, where it produces two chemicals that inhibit the conversion of the brain signal molecule dopamine to norepinephrine, also known as adrenaline, and then the resulting excess of dopamine has been linked to brain damage.
0: Right. You mentioned that last week.
1: Yeah. Now, at the end of that same year, 2017, the EPA's Office of Pesticide Programs published what was titled Revised Glyphosate Issue Paper, Evaluation of Carcinogenic Potential. So the EPA had the chance to look at all of the studies out there and then properly classify glyphosate. And, you know, despite the fact that there were legitimate studies showing a correlation with glyphosate in certain health disorders, including cancer, they reasoned that there were far more similar studies showing no sign of cancer or other diseases and decided to continue classifying glyphosate as a Class E non-cancer causing substance. They did mention at the end of that publication that more research was ongoing with this matter. Well, it just so happens that during that same year, internal company emails were found showing how Monsanto colluded with the EPA to play down glyphosate safety concerns with admissions that Roundup and glyphosate could possibly cause cancer and other harm to human health. And this included the attempted silencing of the work of the French scientist who published the toxicity study in 2012. So now that the word is out that Roundup and glyphosate can potentially cause cancers like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and other chronic or deadly health conditions, there are 18,400 pending glyphosate cancer lawsuits in the United States now. And I believe they're waiting on the result of the payouts from several others that haven't settled yet, but have gone against Monsanto. Uh, The first one, if you recall, was last year in San Francisco in which Monsanto was ordered to pay a groundskeeper who contracted non-Hodgkin's lymphoma due to exposure to Roundup, and it was reduced on appeal to $78 million. Now, I don't watch much TV, but I'm aware of the fact that a number of attorneys across the country have ads uh, about taking on cases of people who believe that they may have developed cancer after using Roundup. Now, you know, before we finish up the list of all the major issues with glyphosate, I wanted to cover two more studies that came out last year in 2018. All right. The first one was published in October, and it found that bacteria develop antibiotic resistance up to 100,000 times faster when exposed to Roundup and antibiotics compared to without Roundup, or in other words, just antibiotics alone. So antibiotic resistance has become a major serious problem, especially in hospitals worldwide. And this just makes that problem even worse.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, and speaking of antibiotics, I also found out this week while researching this topic that Monsanto actually got a patent in twenty ten to sell glyphosate as an antibiotic against this yeah, against specific types of parasites. Now, it didn't say if it's used on plants, animals, or people, but I thought it was interesting that they were able to do this, you know, kind of like when pharmaceutical companies are able to get approval for off-label uses of certain drugs. Right. Now, the other study in 2018 that I've also gone over in the past and wanted to reiterate here is the one from December that confirmed that glyphosate not only can disrupt the blood-brain barrier function, but it can also make it more porous to things that should never cross it, including toxins like heavy metals and bacteria like Clostridia, which we just covered earlier.
0: Well, that's a good way of explaining how bad the situation really is that's being covered up. Now, isn't it just a problem, though, related to the crops that it's used on? So, I mean, can't people just look for something on the label that's saying something that they can avoid?
1: Well, you know, I've already covered the fact that residues of glyphosate can end up in herbicide-resistant GMO foods that are grown with it. And the most common GMO foods, again, that are grown with glyphosate are corn, soy, and cotton. And cotton is used to make cottonseed oil, which we learned in our previous podcast is used in restaurants for frying, uh, is found in packaged foods like potato chips, and is also used to make margarine. As far as corn and soy are concerned... I mean, there's a really long list of foods that each of these are used for, and you can find all of these by listening to the end of our last podcast covering GMO foods, uh, episode number 97. Right. Unfortunately, you won't find any food labels that tell you if glyphosate was used during the growing or processing of a particular item. And uh, GMO labels won't be made mandatory until January 1st, 2022. But even then, the food manufacturers will have four options to communicate to the public the GMO status, with two of them being obvious, either containing a bioengineered symbol or the words bioengineered food or bioengineered food ingredients. While the other two are less obvious and most likely the ones the manufacturers will use because it will not only require the awareness to do so but the extra time-consuming effort to find out either by scanning you know, a hyperlink or QR code, which requires a smartphone, or to call or text a number to get the GMO disclosure. At this time, the only products that list glyphosate in their ingredients are herbicides, which you can purchase at stores like Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, or any hardware store. And Roundup isn't the only weed killer that uses glyphosate. Really? What's yeah. the other ones? Well, I mean, the reasons for this are because it's cheap and effective, and the original patent was protected up until the year 2000. So, after that, other manufacturers have been allowed to also use glyphosate for their herbicides. So, as of 2017, there are over 750 products containing glyphosate, including not only various forms of Roundup, but also other brands like Cleanup, Accord, Imitator, Eraser, Pronto, and Rodeo.
0: Those are all weird names. I'm sorry. (laughs) They just are. By the way, for last week's episode, when you talked about GMO foods, one of the suggestions you gave people for avoiding GMO foods was to go to restaurants that are GMO free or that don't use GMOs. And you mentioned one of those being Chipotle. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there is another one. I looked at a list today, and one of them is out here that I've gone to many times before. I don't know if you've been to one when, we're, when you've been out here. It's called Sharky's, mm-hmm. and it's a Mexican restaurant that makes great fish tacos, and I mean, it's really good, and they are GMO-free.
1: Cool. We'll have to hit that when I come out there next time.
0: Exactly. So Thank for anybody you. in the California area, you've got two choices. You've got Chipotle, and you've got Sharkies. All right. So now that all these issues with glyphosate, have there been any attempts to correct the problem either by the manufacturer or some outside agencies? I mean, if there have, what are the results have been or have there not been any attempts?
1: Well, first of all, obviously, Monsanto and the EPA have not taken responsibility for the issues with Roundup and glyphosate because Roundup is still on the market and doesn't have any warning labels like drugs that contain black box warnings. Right. So I would think that as the lawsuits and payouts pile up against them and more scientific studies come out showing the direct connection between glyphosate use and health disorders, that eventually we'll finally see either warning labels or potentially a ban on glyphosate altogether. Now, there are a number of groups that have not only you know, been trying to raise public awareness of the potential issues of glyphosate, but also have called out Monsanto and government officials for continuing its use as a Class E substance. And so I like to list these. Okay. I mean, the National Health Federation is at the top of this list. And I again recommend that everyone supports them by going to their website at thenhf.com. Other groups and organizations that are working to raise awareness and fight glyphosate issues include the Environmental Working Group, the Non-GMO Food Project, Moms Across America, the Detox Project, and the Organic Consumers Association. Dr. Mercola has also published some outstanding informative articles on his website concerning glyphosate. And, you know, in summary, I believe that the results of all these groups and individuals have been very positive and are slowly waking up the consumers. And the results of the lawsuits so far speak for themselves. That's great.
0: And I think that anybody listening to this should also get on the bandwagon and help support the fight against this kind of stuff. And speaking of that, what can people do or what should people do to avoid glyphosate-related problems?
1: Well, I mean, you can start by eating organic whenever possible. I mean, we learned in the last podcast that if a product is certified organic, then it cannot intentionally include any GMO ingredients. Obviously, you can grow your own organic foods and use an alternative approach to controlling weeds. Uh, you should also avoid high-risk foods that likely contain glyphosate residues like corn, soy, sugar from sugar beets, and cottonseed oil. Choose foods labeled with the non-GMO food project seal on them. I mean, re- remember we said that it doesn't mean that they are glyphosate or GMO-free, right. but they've been checked out and they're pretty clean. Right. Obviously, eat organic grass-fed and grass-finished beef, as well as organic pasture-raised chickens and turkeys. Another thing that very few people consider is the fact that glyphosate could potentially end up in our tap water. City and county drinking water utilities aren't set up to test for and filter this and many other toxic substances, you know, including pharmaceutical drugs that end up in our drinking water. Uh, Something needs to be done because there are over 120,000 chemical compounds, pharmaceutical products, and plastics now in commerce, and the EPA designated only about 90 of them as problematic enough to be regulated. Uh, Very few water filtration units uh, that you can purchase for home use can filter out chemicals like glyphosate, but the one that I have, and I've recommended it in previous podcasts, can, and it's the Ideal Earth Water System. In addition, uh, I'm reading an incredible book called Troubled Water, What's Wrong With What We Drink by Seth Siegel. And I believe that we'll be dedicating a podcast to this in the future after both of us have read this outstanding book about what's wrong with our tap water. Yes, we'll be doing that in January. Okay, cool. And finally, another smart thing to do is to get your glyphosate levels tested. I got mine tested via the Great Plains Laboratory, and it was in the 50th percentile, which is excellent. Almost everyone tests in the 75th percentile and above. So, you know, if your levels are high, then you need to eat cleaner by cutting out foods that likely contain glyphosate. Plus, there are supplements designed to reduce glyphosate levels in the body. That's great. Yeah. One of these products is called uh, Biomedic by a company called Purium. Uh, a randomized preclinical trial performed over six weeks showed that BiomeMedic reduced glyphosate levels in the body by 74%. That's pretty good. Yeah, as well as the inflammation biomarker C-reactive protein by 75%. Mm. That's
0: great. Mm-hmm. Now, before we end for this week, is there anything else you'd
1: like to say about glyphosate? Yes. I thought it would be helpful to list some workable alternatives To glyphosate for weed control. Good idea. Yeah, and I don't believe any of these are anywhere close to the effectiveness of Roundup as far as weed killing and weed control is concerned, but at least they're considered safer with a few exceptions. I mean, there are many websites that have lists of glyphosate alternatives, and I just came up with a top 10 list, which I'm just going to list and not going to go into too much detail on because, again, there's lots of great references on all of these that you can find not only online, but also in books on Amazon and at your local library. Correct. All right. So here they are. First of all, there are organic weed killers available that typically contain ingredients like clove oil, citrus oil, lemon juice, or vinegar. There's horticultural or industrial vinegar, which has an acetic acid content of around 20 to 30%, which is much higher than regular household vinegar. So this needs to be handled with care using gloves and goggles since it can burn the skin and eyes. Right. Uh, flame throwers, also known as flame weeders, have been around for a while and are great on gravel driveways and sidewalk cracks, but should obviously not be used where there's any fuel nearby or, or on dry grass or weeds or on flammable mulch. Or people. That's right. There are also quite a few essential oils that can burn the foliage, but probably won't affect the roots and must be studied well, especially if you have pets because some of them are toxic and potentially fatal to cats and dogs. Another popular alternative weed killer is corn gluten, which can slow the development of new weeds, but it doesn't have much impact on weeds that are already established. All right. Um, There's also a very effective organic herbicidal soap called BioSafe Weed Control, which works very quickly as it destroys the cells of unwanted annual and perennial broadleaf weeds and grasses within hours of application. And a great alternative that farmers can use is called pasture cropping, which I'm not going to go into detail on because you know unless you're an actual farmer, it's way too involved for a home garden. Same goes for the thick cover crop and a roller crimper method. Now, good old fashioned mulch is another option since it covers the ground to keep the seeds away from sunlight, which limits their chance to sprout. And of course, you can really go old school by picking the weeds by hand like we used to when we were kids back in Ohio. That's right. Yeah. Get one of those
0: little trowel things or a screwdriver and grab the top of it and dig out the root of it. Things you got to get the entire root out, which takes a bit of work. All right. Very good information, Steve. It sounds like we've not just got issues in this country having to do with pharmaceutical industry, which has negative effects on people's health, but also the food industry and the chemical industry that's related to the growth of vegetables and also meats. So we've got to work ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So we've not only got issues with those, we've got issues with drugs, not just pharmaceutical or medicinal drugs, but street drugs and more and more states are finding that they can get more revenue by legalizing marijuana and who knows what they're going to legalize in the future. So there's a lot of information out there that isn't necessarily accurate that's being presented about these drugs. There's a lot of missing information and just like with the episodes we've done on GMO and glyphosate and other things, we want to provide the information for people so that they can make the correct decisions based on accurate information. So we're going to start a series next week having to do with street drugs to present information for people as far as what they actually do in the body because they do affect people's health, which is what all this is about. And we're going to start with the most commonly known one and probably most commonly used one, that is marijuana. So that is going to be next week's episode. We encourage people to listen in and we appreciate everybody and their support over all these different episodes. Next week is episode 99 soon to be 100. All right. Thanks again, Steve. You got it. Thanks for joining us this week on the body chat podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week and if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at That's info at To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.